0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California.
1: Please visit our website at audiodharma.org.
0: Well, it's nice to be here. Thank you all for coming out, especially those of you who are new and are here perhaps for the first or second time. Welcome. Welcome to the challenge of mindfulness practice and after a long time, I can affirm the wonderful benefits of it as well. Tonight, I'm going to talk, I've, every time I come down here, I give another talk on conflict and conflict resolution as uh, from a Buddhist perspective. Of course, I'm sure, like me, you have no conflict in your life, so... You can just relax and take this in and I'm sure there are people in your life who need it so you can pass it along to them. This talk is on forgiveness. Most of the cases that I mediate at the federal court and have mediated throughout my time of being a mediator, which is about 30 years or so, arise from the lack of forgiveness. The conflicts themselves started with a grudge of some sort, an injury of some sort from one person to another. And that incident being handled in what the Buddha would call an unskillful way. I like the fact that he didn't say in a wrong way or a right way He says, skillful or unskillful. Gil, our main teacher here, translated a poetic uh, group of verses of the Buddha's teachings called the Dhammapada. And that beautiful selection of teachings begins this way. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with a corrupted mind, and suffering follows, as the wagon wheel follows the hoof of the ox. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind speak or act with a peaceful mind, and happiness follows, like a never-departing shadow. He abused me, attacked me, defeated me, robbed me. For those carrying on like this, hatred does not end. She abused me, attacked me, defeated me, robbed me. For those not carrying on like this, Hatred ends. Hatred never ends by hatred. By non-hate alone does it end. Hatred never ends by hatred. By non-hate alone does it end. This is an ancient truth. Many do not realize that we here must die. For those who realize this, quarrels end. So, what the Buddha is saying that what we hold in our minds, we live with. Our thoughts condition our mind in certain ways. They also condition our feelings, our actions, our future thoughts, and our experience. And what do I mean by Condition. Well, if I walked out into the rain, the experience of being wet would condition my actions. I would, if I had it, put on a hat or a raincoat. And if I could, I would hurry and get out of the rain. Or if it was a hot, sunny day, and I was in South Carolina, where I'm from, and it rained, I might be very happy to stay out in the rain and play in the puddles as I did as a boy. So the rain would condition my actions in a different way under those different circumstances. It's not so much that what happens to us is in some fatalistic way predetermined or in that phase that I personally find really difficult, it was meant to be, The Buddha never taught that. He taught that what we think conditions our lives. Now, it might be what we thought quite a while ago, and we've thought repeatedly and repeatedly, and we've even become unconscious of the fact that we think that way. And so when events arise in our lives, we're puzzled as to why they're there because we're not aware of our thinking. Thus, the extreme value and importance of our mindfulness practice and developing it because we become more mindful of the thoughts we have and we begin to see what conditions our lives. There's a quotation that you may have heard that's attributed to so many people. I've Googled it several times, and every time I Google it, it comes up attributed to somebody else. So I don't know. But it's a great quote. Resentment is like drinking poison and hoping the other person will die. (laughs) That's the lack of forgiveness conditioning, what happens with us? Uh, Many years ago, 30 years ago, in Charleston, South Carolina, where I practice law, I had the opportunity to struggle with forgiveness. I had uh, done a lot of 12-step practice, and I think it's the fourth step where you go through your life and look at the people that you've wronged and you make amends with them. I had done that practice so I was aware of the challenge of it and the benefit of it. And my law partner was a challenging law partner, let's say, and one Friday morning, early, I was at my desk and our associate, who happened also to be his girlfriend, came into my office, tears streaming down her face with a yellow legal pad with several long handwritten pages of a letter to her, essentially saying, I've taken all the money and I've left and you'll never see me again. It was a shocking moment in my life. I can visualize it right now, the impact on my body, the impact on my mind, and the clinching fear in my heart and the rush of anger at, I'll call him Sam. That night, I was supposed to enter a uh, the next level of a training for leadership in the EST, Organization, you may have heard of that from back in the 70s, and I realized that my life was a mess, and this was a good time to say no. And I turned a different way. Months went by. Uh, my associate, Sam's girlfriend, and I struggled to keep the law practice together. We had a two two-story building with lots of offices and employees, and it was not an easy time. Lots of opportunities for resentment. Months passed, and Sam finally showed up in Israel, attempting to join the Israeli army. And his friend, an Israeli army general, recognized that he was not well, and so helped him to recover. And months more went by, and he came back to Charleston. And at that point, he and I sat down to separate our affairs. Of course, there was a lot of blame from him to me, and I was still carrying a fair amount of resentment towards him, as you might imagine. And we sat down, and he got this case, and I got that case, and he got that bundle of uh, debts and I got that bundle of responsibilities and debts and we divided everything up and eventually he and our associate his girlfriend left the building that we had and went off to another part of the metropolitan area of Charleston not that it's really a metropolitan area compared to here but we called it that anyway And more months went by. And one day, out of the blue, I get a call from Sam. And he said, we owe, I'll call him Joe, we owe Joe, our accountant, $5,000. And I say, no, we don't, Sam. You agreed to take that debt. And he said, yes, I know. You're exactly right, I did agree to take that debt. But I'm not paying, but half of it. And if you don't pay the other half, Joe won't get paid. Now I knew that he and uh, Joe, Sam and Joe went all the way back to grammar school and had been friends for a long time. And they had worked together far longer than I had known either Sam or Joe. but I was caught. Because I knew on one level that Sam was not bluffing because I knew him well. I had known him by that time for a long time. And what could I do? By that time, I had gotten much more seriously into my meditation practice, which had begun maybe six or seven years before that. And... So I sat with what was the place to move. I suspect that you have been in a similar place in your life. You have looked at what is the right thing to do in this situation where you have been wronged. And there's little doubt that you were wronged. Just as there was little doubt in the situation I faced that Sam had left me and his girlfriend for almost a year, high and dry, with no warning, and literally had drained the bank accounts, and then returned and presented me with this very interesting conundrum. So think for a moment of a time in your life where there's been someone that you have resented because they have hurt you. Perhaps there's someone right now that is occupying that place in your life. What do we do? How do we hold it? What is the skillful approach? Who is it that you carry a grudge against for past wrongs? Why is it so hard for us to forgive and let go? And what does it cost us? A professor named Fred Luskin, who teaches at Stanford right across the way, has written a very good book on forgiveness and I don't remember the name of it but you can google Fred Luskin L-U-S-K-I-N and you'll easily find it. And he says that there are three steps to forming a grievance. The first is that we take an act of unkindness personally. And sometimes we will exaggerate that personal offense. The act could have been random, or in the case of my situation with Sam, it was quite deliberate. And we focus on how it affects us personally. As I think back on that situation, I can see myself sitting at, I had a really beautiful antique roll-top desk And I was sitting at that roll-top desk talking to Sam on the phone when he delivered this ultimatum to me and then slammed down the phone. And I definitely took it personally because it was me, right? I was the one on the phone, I was the one that he was demanding pay 2,500 bucks that I didn't owe in a circumstance because Joe was still my accountant as well, and was my friend, in a circumstance that presented me with a difficult conundrum. And I took it personally. And my mind perseverated on it. It went round and round and round. And it came up frequently. How many times when you have a story like that, do you tell it to other people? As you might imagine, I went right home and told my wife. And I told my secretary, who had been with me for a long time. We struggle with those stories. Think about the incident that has perhaps come to your mind tonight. How often do you replay it? Do you find yourself speaking to that person who hurt you in your head? and having the most wonderful conversation with that person. And they're saying all the right things about how sorry they are for the way they've treated you and how they're going to do better and how wonderful you are for being so generous with them in spite of their being such a jerk. I love those conversations. They're so satisfying until I wake up and realize that I'm having that conversation and I've had it before and before and before and then I notice the stuck groove in my mind. It's the universal experience that we share. It's the way our minds work. So the second place of creating the grievance story is we blame the other person and that's what I was definitely doing. It was easy for me to blame Sam. Can you imagine if you were in that situation? Jeez, what a jerk he had been, costing me thousands and thousands of dollars and now the absolute gall of him to demand more. When I was there paying the rent that he was co-signing on the lease. It was just outrageous, right? So we blamed them, And that was easy for me to do because, boy, was he to blame. And then third, we create a grievance story. So we take the offense personally, we have it be about us, about me. We blame, we project our anger and our upset out onto this other person, and then we create a story about it. And what a great story it was. It was easy for me to walk up and down Broad Street in Charleston, which is about two or three blocks long, Very historic, lots of big magnolia trees and oak trees with uh, Spanish moss hanging down. You do not know heat until you've walked in the streets in Charleston in the summertime. You know the smart people from the not-so-smart people, the ones who walk on the sunny side of the street as opposed to the ones that walk on the shady side of the street. So we form this grievance story And it's easy. It was easy for me to tell my lawyer friends up and down Broad Street this outrageous story about Sam. And they would all agree with me, at least to my face, about what an outrageous story it was. So, the offense that we take personally, the projection of blame, and then the grievance story. And we tell it, and tell it and tell it unconsciously, consciously and externally and internally. So what is forgiveness? What is forgiveness in this situation? It's certainly not forgetting because it's been 30 years and this story is still quite fresh for me but in a very different way. It's not pardoning because his behavior was inexcusable. It's not reconciling, because we never reconciled. It's not condoning. I don't condone that behavior. It's not getting justice, because there was no justice. And if you were a criminal lawyer like I was, the first public defender in Charleston, South Carolina in the 70s, you know that there is, in fact, No justice. So, what is it? Fred Luskin defines forgiveness in this beautiful way. It's the moment-to-moment experience of peace and understanding. So it's the moment-to-moment, the breath-by-breath experience of peace. When an injured party and that would be me, when the injured party's suffering is reduced as they transform their grievance against an offending party. Oh, it's not the offending party saying, I'm sorry. It's not the offending party changing their behavior. It's not the offending party making amends. It's the injured party, suffering is reduced as he or she transforms her grievance against an offending party. It's all inside us. This transformation takes place through learning to take less personal offense, which was the first step, Attributing less blame to the offender, which was the second step. And by greater understanding, seeing the personal and interpersonal harm that occurs as a result of the unresolved anger and hurt. So the grievance story causes more and more harm, both inside me and in the way I relate to others. As you might imagine, in a situation like that, you get skittish about having a law partner. You get skittish about certain things. And I found myself carrying that anger into other relationships. And I found it affecting others around me. In fact, one night during this process, I had a singular moment with my very precious little girl, Jessica, who's now not so little a girl, but just as precious. I came home late. I hadn't been home very much at the time to see her out of school. She was about two or three years old, and she was lying on the bed, and her mom had read her a story, and she was just before drifting off to sleep, and I sat down beside her, and I said something like that, something like, Dad's very sorry that he hasn't been home with you much, very often, but I'm having a real struggle at work. Things aren't going so well. And all of a sudden, she sat bolt upright from the bed, looked me square in the eyes and said, quit acting like a baby and be happy. And <laughs> flopped, <coughs> flopped back on the pillow and went sound asleep like that. It was like a bolt. Like I had been slapped cosmically speaking, and I was. So I got the cost of this grievance story to me. I wasn't impacting Sam with my mind going round and round with the pain and anguish of what I was suffering and the indignity of on top of all the losses having to shell out another 2,500 bucks, or deal with Joe in a different way. So, that's forgiveness. It's in here. So, how do we do it? Well, we unravel the same three steps, according to Fred. We take less personal offense, Whatever happened, while difficult, is a common human experience. We are jerks to each other and there are jerks to us. Those of you who aren't jerks, please stand up and leave now because this talk is not for you. Come up here and you can take over (laughs) because I certainly am one. And I've certainly done my share of offending and causing problems for others. And I suspect that each of you has as well. So we recognize that offenses to one another is a common human experience. It's not just about poor suffering Daniel. It's the nature of humanity. It's the first kalesa that the Buddha taught there is suffering. There is dissatisfaction. There is a dissatisfactory nature to life. Not inherently to life, it's to the mind. The source is our minds, as he wrote in the Dhammapada. All experience arises, preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. That's the source of our suffering. So, we take less personal offense, we attribute less blame to the offender, and although the original offense that caused the suffering, often the worst suffering occurs as a result of our resentment about it. So what Sam did was bad. I'm sure everyone in this room would agree. However, I was hurting myself, and Jessica nailed me with it that night in her bedroom. So it's difficult for us because we want that person to assume responsibility and say they're sorry. And then we can feel justified and martyred in our suffering and be perhaps beneficent and grant them forgiveness. But that's not the way it works. We need to do the work inside, take less personal offense, and then attribute less blame to them. And then change the grievance story to a story of learning or hope. So as you might imagine, given that I've been a teacher for a while and a lawyer for a long time, I like telling stories, and I've told this story a lot, because I did figure out a way to make it for me, and I hope for you, a story of learning and hope. When we can accept the fact that we have been harmed, and learn to develop greater understanding ourselves, we can make a bad situation better for us and for the world. We have the power to move on. We can pull ourselves out of the quicksand of being stuck and perseverating in our stuckness and find our way to light and happiness. That's what our mindfulness practice is really about. Hope can survive the wrongdoing and furthers forgiveness. And we're then able to tell the story from the point of view of what we are learning, which is what I'm doing now with you. Because in the end, forgiveness means never putting another person out of your heart. And it was not easy for me to take Sam back into my heart. So here's what I did, because I bet you're curious as to what I did. (coughs) Before this event happened, a month or so, Sam and our former associate, whom I'll call Jane, got married. Now, surprise, I wasn't invited to the wedding. So I sat with that. And I put a picture of Sam on my meditation table for a long time. And sat with that. And sat with this whole idea of forgiveness and making amends. And I could see places of my own responsibility that led to his breakdown. Not that I caused it, but I was part of the conditions that existed just as he was part of the conditions that existed in the situation I faced. We are entwined in our actions. We are connected in those actions. It's easy for us to separate someone and put them out of our heart and create this grievance story and blame them and take deep personal offense and imagine that we've broken that connection, but we haven't really. So, I went to, I think it must have been, wasn't called CVS then. I forget what the drugstores were called in Charleston, but I went to the drugstore, and I got a really pretty congratulations on your wedding card. And then, I sat down, and I wrote a letter to Sam listing all the things that he had done for me. All I had learned from him as a lawyer and as a person, the good times that we had had and shared, and how much I appreciated our long relationship. And it was amazing to me how much there was to appreciate because we had been close friends for a long time. He had been my landlord when I was public defender, had supported me politically. There was a lot to be thankful for. And then I typed out a letter to Joe, the accountant, and I said, as you know, Sam and I split up our assets and our debts, and as you also know, Sam took this debt to you but he's now said he's not gonna pay it unless I pay half. And I don't want you caught in the middle of our conflict. So please find enclosed a check for 2,500 bucks. And I put CC, Sam. And then I took a copy of that letter and I put it in the wedding card along with the letter to him, thanking him for all the things that he had done to me. And on the wedding card I wrote, congratulations on your wedding. Please find enclosed your wedding present. (laughs) And I sealed it up in an envelope. And then I had a very brilliant idea. Because... Just a few days before that, my sweet Jessica had turned five, and we had a gorilla come to her birthday. And she and all of her friends had the best time with that gorilla, chasing them around the house. We had a house on the ocean in Charleston, chasing them down to the beach. They were just hysterical and had such a wonderful time. It was a terrific gorilla. So I called up the gorilla, and I said, I have a delivery for you to make. And he happily came to my office, and the delivery, I think, was 20 bucks. And I said, I want you to take this to Sam's office and deliver it to him. But I knew Sam really well and I knew that he would see it was from me, and he would toss it and never open it. So I said, and I pulled out my wallet, and I said, here's a hundred bucks. But you're only getting this hundred bucks, gorilla, if you bring back to me a Polaroid picture. This was back in the day. A Polaroid picture of you and Sam with Sam opening this card. He was thrilled with the idea of getting a hundred (laughs) bucks. And he put on his gorilla suit and off he went. And several hours later, he came back with a nice Polaroid picture of him leaning over behind Sam in his gorilla suit and Sam looking very not happy but opening my letter, clearly. So I pulled out the hundred bucks and I gave it to him. And that picture rested on my meditation table for a long time. I never heard from Sam, but I didn't need to. Because I had taken less personal offense It wasn't about me. I had taken away the blame from him. Although there was plenty there, it lightened for me. And every time, and I turned the story. You see how I turned the story. So now when I tell the story, even the telling of the story now lightens it for me every time I tell the story. And every time I tell the story, my heart opens more to Sam. So I've turned the story from a grievance story into a story of learning and hope, which I give to you as my gift tonight. This is how forgiveness works. Hatred never ends By hatred, by non-hate. Notice the Buddha didn't say by love, although that's some way times the way it's translated. Gill did not translate it that way. By non-hate alone does it end. I released my hatred. This is an ancient truth. Practice being aware of how you take things personally and make up a story about it that puts the blame out there and then you tell that grievance story in your mind over and over. Learn to reverse that process. Take less personal offense. Take the blame off and put it in the category of the universal suffering dukkha experience of life that all of us human beings experience. It is the nature of life for all of us. Put it there in that impersonal place and turn it into a story that you can offer to those you love and care about as a story of learning and hope. Let's sit for just a moment. I'd be happy to answer any questions that any of you might have or comments. Yes, we have a microphone if you'll wait for that.
1: Yes, hello. Um, I was wondering if part of your process was also psychological, where you understood that um, Sam was the one with the main issues and
0: that... um, by taking blame away from him was part of that understanding that he was the one that had problems um, and that helped you as well as the, the spiritual part to
1: aid you along the spiritual part. That's my first question. And then my second question is can this, can, can this also be applied to lack of self-forgiveness for something that you've done?
0: Well, I would answer those questions in reverse. I had to forgive Daniel before I could do what I did. Because where I first went was all the mistakes that I had made and how did you get yourself in this position and all the self-judgments that I struggled with and still from time to time struggle with, and I am sure all of you do too, that first place of self-attack, which was where I went when I hung up the phone after he called. So that was the part about not having it be so much about me. And as to your first question, My hesitation is this. It's always easier to project out our evaluations onto someone else. And objectively speaking, with me telling the story, you would all assume that Sam had problems challenges. Sam would not see it that way. And so my ability to project less blame onto him was conditioned by my really seeing him in the best way that I could. And that was hard. He did not make it easy to see him in a good light. And that's why I had to write that letter. I had to really sit down and think about all the gifts that I received from him. And that took it out of my psychological evaluation of him and my negative story about him. Aside from this incident, there was plenty of evidence. But there was also this other wonderful part of him because he was an extraordinarily gifted man. And he had given me a lot and taught me a lot. And that's what freed me from his shadow and my shadow. Anyone else? Yes, in the back, back there.
1: Thanks. So it's interesting your sort of definition of forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean doing the right thing. So you could have Dissed Joe and still forgiven your partner. And if you were fine with that, you could have gone on your merry forgiveness way and would have been free of it.
0: Well, I didn't have any grievance with Joe, the account the accountant. Right. Uh, Joe and I were friends, he did my taxes and did my kept my books for my law practice. So it was a matter of my wanting not wanting Joe. I wasn't willing to play the game of having Joe be caught in mine and Sam's dispute. Sam clearly was willing to. And whether he was bluffing, I knew him well enough to know that there was at least a 50-50 chance that he was bluffing. But there was all that meant there was a good chance he wasn't. And he would have dished Sam with no problem, I mean Joe with no problem. So yes, I could have forgiven Sam and not paid Joe. However, had I done that, I would not have freed myself.
1: So in the case, I guess I'm thinking about for myself, would be the case, say, Sam needed something from you. Right. And you decided not to give it to him, and you were okay with that and moved on.
0: It depends really on what you mean by okay with it. So let's say that Sam was asking me to pay him 2500 bucks.
1: Right. Suppose he needed it for a kidney operation or something. That would yes. Be, he would construe yes. as bad.
0: I'm, I'm sorry, I missed that he answer. would. Cons-
1: you know, he you know he wants a he wants a kidney. He needs it. You, your only hope. He asks you for it.
0: A kidney. Okay. So, upping the stakes. Uh, forgiveness cannot be conditional. And whatever is in the story needs to be completely addressed. So if I had forgiven him and then withheld the request because I felt manipulated or I felt like he was going way too far in his demands, I forgive you for this thing you did in the past, but I'm not willing to get sucked into these games that you're playing about making demands on me for kidneys or money or whatever it is then I'm still hooked by him. I'm still caught by him. I leave with mud on my shoes still. And the practice that the Buddha encourages us to take on is not focused on anything, but freeing our minds, clearing our minds calming our minds, reducing our dukkha, our suffering. So for me and my story to be able to tell the story now free of it, I couldn't do that if I hadn't paid Joe the 2,500 bucks that's for me. I couldn't have. I'm not saying that's the right way to do it. I'm not saying that's the way everyone has to do it. But when I sat with it for me, I realized I couldn't do it. Even if I were being manipulated and even if I were sort of falling into the trap, that's who I am. And that's what enable me to get free. Thank you all very much. It's wonderful to be here. And I wish you all a happy fall and a wonderful rest of your week.